This is For Advisors by Advisors. I'm your host, Evan J. Mayer. And today we have a very special guest in Mr. Kevin McCarthy. They love you, Kev. How you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing, Evan? Good, good. Kevin is the Senior Vice President, Regional Manager of Sonova Securities of Sonovus Bank. Prior to Sonovus, Kevin was at SunTrust for over 10 years. Got a lot of uh, questions about that time, a lot of turnover, a lot of political stuff. So interested to see your side of things. And then prior to SunTrust, 19 years at Wells Fargo, and he's been in the business for overall 34 years. So I think it's fair to say you're an industry vet. Would that be fair? I would say that is fair. Awesome. I joined uh, uh, SunTrust in 2012. I think you were a regional manager at the time, and then you moved more up into a corporate role, like within my first two years there. And then we got to know each other extensively well. Yeah, I was on some advisory boards. You had recommended me for that stuff. I know I would call you a lot and bother you. And sometimes you'd call me and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And kind of ran ideas by me uh, occasionally too, which was really neat. So I enjoyed our time together. Let me say that first and foremost. Well, I appreciate it. I did as well. And congratulations on your success with your new venture as well. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. So the one thing I found interesting about your past, and then I'll kind of let you elaborate into it, but it looks like you got your Series 7 two days before two days before Black Monday. Is that accurate? <laughs> that is accurate. So back in those days, you would go to an auditorium, and there were roughly 300 people. I was at Emory University taking my, um, my exam with a number two pencil, and you didn't find out for a little while as well. So yeah, I, I did. I went over on Friday. I started with Merrill Lynch in Augusta, Georgia. We drove to Atlanta, spent the night to, to take the test the next day. The market dropped, I think, 4 or 5% that Friday. Had the test, obviously, on, on Saturday. Went back the next day or went back on Monday, and it was down 508 points. So the really funny thing is I had interviewed for another company at that point in time. They called me on Tuesday. And asked me if I had made the right move. And I said, yeah, I think I did. But, uh, you know, I had some doubts of it. That was an interesting time for sure. Was that, were you in the Merrill Lynch trainee program to start? Or was it more of a management program that you were in? It was the Merrill Lynch training program, yes. Got it. So you were going to become a financial advisor? I was. And so my joke has to do with, did you end up, did like that day on Monday, is the next day you're like, I'm ready to, for management. I don't think I want to produce. <laughs> no, no, no. I produced for 10 years after that point in time. But I got to tell you, I was thinking twice about it after that day. Yeah. That's, good news that's... is I didn't have any clients. I had zero clients. So I didn't blow anybody up. So that was a good thing. Yeah. So you could go, you know, hey, the market's down. This is a perfect time to become a client. Uh... <laughs> it was a great time to prospect. It was a tough time to prospect, but a great time to prospect. So talk a little bit about your history in the business. How long were you at Merrill? When did you decide to move to Wells? How did the 19 years, long time at Wells, what made you then go to SunTrust and then Synovus? Yeah, so I was at Merrill for a little bit over four years. I was at First Union Wachovia Wells for almost 20 when all was said and done. So financial advisor for 10 years total. So I was financial advisor from very beginning of 88 through 1997, I think it was. That's when I went into management. It was just one of those things I really wanted to do. So I wanted to move into to management, enjoyed my time as a producer, but sometimes I look back at it and think, I had a pretty good book in 1997. I don't know why I did it, but it's something I've always enjoyed and I don't regret the decision. So, you, um, but, so when you went into management, you weren't a producing manager, you dropped your book and went head first? 
Well, yes and no. Kept probably 100 relationships at that point in time. So the gentleman who had the job before me, he was displaced after about a year. So I wanted to make sure and have a safety net if it didn't work out. So I kept about 100 relationships for about a year and a half. And then I went ahead and felt like I didn't really have the time to, to take care of the clients in the way that I wanted to. So I went ahead and transitioned them as well. And then what happened with the move to SunTrust? What made you say 20 years at Wells, I'm ready to make the jump or, you know? Well, I got a call from a friend of mine who was at SunTrust and I had many wonderful times first in Wachovia Wells. All, you know, the evolution of the company was great, but there was a time when it was Wachovia where I really probably enjoyed it the most. Great camaraderie, size company that, that was big enough, but at the same point in time, big enough to be impactful, but also small enough to where you could, you know, have a voice and uh, get to know everybody as well. SunTrust reminded me a little bit of that. So as, you know, Wells, a uh, much bigger company, fine company, but I was looking for something a little bit smaller at that point in time. So the timing for the call was perfect. You know, it's interesting you say that because when I was with Bank Atlantic and then SunTrust and then both times they got bought by BB&T, I had the same thought. I liked the regional feel. I didn't like the too big feel. And funny enough, you left SunTrust when BB&T bought them and you went back to Synovus, which is a very similar to feel what SunTrust was. Actually, a lot of the same people that worked at SunTrust are at Synovus. Right, right. And it's been a really good move for me. I moved about 15 months ago and one of the main reasons I did is, once again, Truist, a great company. I've been fortunate to every company that I've worked for has been really good people, do great jobs for clients. But as you mentioned, in SunTrust and probably even more under Truist, I was moved more on the corporate side. So further and further away from the end client, further away from the advisor. And one of the passions I have is to be able to work with advisors every day. So this allowed me to go back and work with them on a daily basis. So it's been a really good move for me. So it's interesting you say that. So at SunTrust, when, I don't remember the year when it all kind of began, when did you leave like running Georgia and you moved into more of the corporate role? Was that 14, 2014-ish? I think it was the end of 14, the very beginning of 15. Mm -hmm. Okay. Brad Dinsmore, I think, was running the retail banking at the time, and they created this new group, and it was, I think it was called PBIG. And it was a neat concept. It was a cool idea. It was like, hey, we're all going to report under this one structure, so we're all in it together. And then a hiring frenzy started. They hired Scott, and then they hired Dwight, and they hired all these people. Actually, I remember at the time, us in the South Florida, we were wondering who they were going to put into that lead role. We were hoping it was going to be you. And I remember saying like, you know, hopefully Kevin's leading, leading the advisors. Dwight came in and it kind of expanded really quick, really fast. Can you talk about that time when that first started, kind of the thoughts behind it, what went on behind the scenes as that was building up? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a really good organization and I thought it made a lot of sense because you know, a lot of our advisors at SunTrust, we had them working far more with affluent clients as opposed to retail clients. So you know that better than anybody. So the concept of having PBIG, Premier Banking and Investment Group, you know, as a separate unit, so not quite wealth management at that point in time, but not retail either. So really just carving out a niche to deal with those affluent clients. And it worked extremely well. I mean, there's a lot of growing pains because you're trying to create an infrastructure, you know, some of the reporting and everything like that had to be built out, but, but it really was a nice niche. Would it be fair to say, in your opinion, 
Did, was there not enough time for that to fully expand before the bank said we're going to make cuts and we're going to we're going to reposition? Because there was a lot of repositioning during my time there. Obviously, during your time there as well, as far as restructuring and now we would report under private wealth. Was there? It didn't feel like there was enough time, but then there was also aspects of me that was saying things weren't working up there. What are your thoughts? Well, I would say that you know there's. Yeah, I would say there probably wasn't enough time, but I think a lot of it was really, you know, just the full infrastructure wasn't there to build it out the way that, that we would have liked. So trying to, when you're defining the success that you have and you're trying to get reporting from retail, from private wealth, from a variety of different places, but you couldn't get anything that was really consistent, it's hard to show the kind of value that you're really adding at that point in time. So I think that in, in general, it survived. It just didn't survive as a standalone image. Yeah, and in a lot of ways it was good. So going forward, we always looked at it, whether right, wrong, or indifferent, I never liked the fact that the bank would look at me and go, well, you can work with some clients, but you're not qualified for others when I knew I was just as qualified as some advisors. And I think the bank finally took hold of that to some extent. And then they said, let's report all that under private wealth. And in the beginning, it was scary because Ken took over and we, us on the retail side's like, we lost the war. How does this look like, you know, like her, what side of the wall are we going to be on it? You know, what's this going to look like? And it ended up being great. And he ended up being by far one of the best managers I ever had. We had, you remember Joe Tabo at the time, shout out to Joe right. T was a great local boss and Joe Lucini as who you work with now, great admiration for. And so when all that kind of transpired, like, it seemed like everything kind of happened at once. The P big kind of got torn down or taken apart quickly or converted. However, we want to politically put that, but Ken took over and luckily you stayed on with Ken, which was, we had felt as advisors, we were very happy about that because we were like, he actually gets us. Did you feel the same way? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Ken, Ken Solis, uh, personal friend. I mean, we used to probably talk three, four times a day and had a tremendous amount of fun putting those things together. So, but to what your point was, what we tried to do was look at the competency of the advisor rather than the title. So, and I think that worked very well. We credentialed people that, that had the ability to talk with those higher net worth clients. So it didn't really matter where you came from, but did you have the competency to take care of the client? And I think that worked extremely well. I fully agree with you. Matter of fact, I'll say this, you don't have to. There are many advisors in retail that should not necessarily talk, but the credential worked really well. And the reason it worked so well was it wasn't necessarily, hey, your book is too big or too small. It's how good are you as an advisor? And based upon how good are you as an advisor, we're going to want to put you in front of our clients that need that kind of level of support. And for a guy like me who basically came over with a small book of business, left with a big book and, and had that opportunity, I say this all the time on this podcast and to any friends that listen to me, that the bank channel was a phenomenal thing. But I did get to a point where the inner office politics of things started to bother me a little bit. And me and you had conversations offline about that and where I thought there was aspects that compensation, unfortunately, it's really hard, I guess, to in a banking channel or in a corporate channel to make sure that everybody gets compensated for all the work they do. And there was a lot of like, I remember back in the day, it would always be, well, you gotta do the right thing. And I used to laugh at that because do the right thing meant 
you're not going to get paid on this. And even though you're qualified to do this, you're going to have to give that up. And you guys did kind of fix that with the credentialed side. So I thought that was excellent. Well, I think it did work very well. And from what I understand, Trust has expanded that as well. So I think uh, you, you always want to give good advisors the opportunity to work with good clients. hundred percent. But on, on the banking end of things, because you also were also very much with the premier bankers and the banking side of things. And the banks, to me, whether right, wrong, or indifferent, I think they, they want to put their bank employees as the leader in charge of the relationship. I think that's always been kind of the thought, even though I think you would agree with me that the best relationship salespeople and best relationship building people are probably the advisors. I don't know if you agree with that, but that, that's at least how I feel. And during that time, there was a lot of, I would say, battles with who is in charge of the relationship. Is it going to go to the right. premier banker? Is it going to go to the CA? The premier banker is going to get compensated, but not get compensated. And there was all those issues in between. And you were kind of the guy that had to try to figure out how to fit all that together. Yeah. And I think when you start trying to give somebody the title of relationship manager based on their job, I think you've missed it because clients are, are going to determine who their relationship manager is. So, and I think that's really earned. So I think one of the things that we tried to do was the client would choose or the team would choose who that relationship manager was. And that, I think that was the right approach for doing that. I think the, back to your comment, I think financial advisors are excellent relationship managers, no doubt about it. But you're also going to see premier bankers or other people out there that are great at that as well. So it really comes down to, I'll go back to that word competency as well. I mean, are you good at your craft? And it really doesn't matter what your role is necessarily, but can you relate to that client? I remember two comments you said to me. I remember many comments you said to me and many conversations we had, and most of them were, were constructive and positive. A couple were not, but that's just because I was always looking out for my best interest as well, <laughs> which you would anticipate I would do, right? Absolutely. To some extent. But I remember two calls with you specifically. One was a negative, one was a positive. The negative one, which kind of made me realize that at the end of the day, I was going to go at some point. And this was probably in 17 or 18. We were having a conversation of doing the right thing for the client. And I was talking to you about what I thought was the right things for the client. And I said, my clients, and you corrected me and you go, the bank's clients. And when you said that to me, I couldn't say, I, I didn't see you. We weren't doing zoom. We were on a phone call, but I could sense when you said it to me, you wanted me to know that, look, at the end of the day, these are the bank's clients and you were right. They are the bank's clients. Right. But when you had said it to me, it made me go. That might be the way it's always looked and knowing, you know, what goes on inside my mind, you've been able to pinpoint things before of how I thought, but the second thing and the second call was actually a phenomenal call. And that's the day I went independent, I resigned from the bank, which was a very tough thing to do, Kev, right? Because you have friends, you have people, you have people that, you know, that care for you and that like you. And I remember I resigned. I remember calling Ken and then you. Ken was phenomenal. Ken actually said, is there anything to do? And at that point, once you go independent and you have your own lease, I don't think you can get away from it. He kind of knew it. And you had picked up, I believe you had picked up or you had called me right back. And you said, Evan, given your personality, your skill set, and what you're doing, you're probably making the right decision. And you didn't say it in a way of like, you know, you made the right decision because you still worked for the bank at that time. But you said it in a very honest way that like, based upon how you want to do things in the future, you're probably making the right decision for you. And I can't thank you enough for that because 
but it's been three plus years and I still remember that that should tell you how much respect I have for you as a person because when you said that to me I was like Kevin's got my back he understands well I appreciate that and um back to our first conversation I'm a little bit surprised that I said that now I do think that a lot of these have come from the bank but I think that ultimately it doesn't matter where you got a client you're a great example of that what matters is if you decide to leave are they following you so they're not really the bank's clients they're evans clients at that point in time and so i think about one of the things my job is is to make sure that somebody doesn't leave make sure and provide them the environment that i can help them grow and expand what they're doing and they're enjoying what they're doing so i think clients will always choose where they want to go it doesn't mean that they're not fans of SunTrust or Truist when they followed you. They just had a lot of confidence in you. So I do believe that the bank has a lot to do with it, but I don't view that clients are never owned. Clients get to make a choice about where they're gonna be served. And once again, I just wanna make sure that we provide a good environment where the advisor wants to stay here. Oh, I never got mad when you said it, and I didn't take it that way. You were actually under a big issue at the time, and that was there was incentive manipulation to the extent of how assets were being deposited and get people getting credit for things. I, I think you remember that. We don't have to dive too deep into that. You were trying to fix that because there was, you were trying to make sure people got incentives for doing the right thing, but when sometimes those incentives can create bad actors to do bad things, and that was part of that conversation and that of what your job and your role was. So I, I do not look at that as a bad thing. And now that you're a financial advisor manager, you said all the right things. <laughs> Talk about Synovus. To me, and you don't know this story. I don't think you know this story. But when I was looking to go, Joe Lucini, I, and if you listen to his podcast, I don't know if you had a chance to, he was always, to me, he was an advisor's manager, meaning he would he always had our back. He kind of looked out for us. In some ways, it shot him in the foot, and I said that to him multiple times, like, you got to be politically correct here. And Joe doesn't have that, and he's not – he will he can play politically correct, but it's not him. He's going to be honest. It's just the way he is. It's the way he's built. And when he went to Synovus, I was contemplating going, and Joe was telling me at the time, maybe we'll send out a jet for you or something. Or And I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is cool. And there was a chance I was going to potentially go. I decided not to, and thank God I didn't because it kind of worked out for me today. Not saying that it wouldn't work for me in the future. But but you're there now, and it's it's got that SunTrust feel before SunTrust got too big. It's got to be an exciting role for you because you get to go in there and kind of do things that – are beneficial for the bank. Talk to us about like, are you having fun? Oh, I'm having a blast. It's been a, it's been a great move. As I mentioned, it's been about 15 months. So I run Georgia and South Carolina for Synovus, a couple areas of Georgia that Joe and Mike have, but in general, that's my territory. But I also get a little bit of an opportunity to do some things on the corporate side as well. So that, that's kind of fun, but being able to get back and work with advisors directly, I think even though my role was more business development with Ken, I felt like he and I ran that thing together. He was in lead and I was kind of running a lot of the day-to-day -day type things. That was fun. That was fun. But being able to get back closer to the advisors, that's been really pretty special. Synovus is a company I've admired for a long period of time. My wife worked there years ago, so I was a competitor of Synovus at one point in time. And so the opportunity, it was just, it was great. Great group of people, 
great group of advisors. Leadership is fantastic. So I've really enjoyed it. Fantastic. Well, congrats on the move. The advisors that are with you, I think they got a great leader. And uh, Kev, you were, like I said, phenomenal there. Well, I appreciate that. For sure. Um, talk about traits in financial advisors. You've met good ones, bad ones. The good ones probably have very big egos, very hard to control to some extent, I would say. What makes a great advisor great and a bad advisor bad? Are we just naturally born with it? Or what are your thoughts there? Well, I think a great advisor is somebody that's always going to try to improve in their craft each and every day. So if you think about the evolution, as you mentioned, I've been in the business 34, 35 years now at this stage of the game. When I first started, we were talking about stocks. You know, we were telling a story about stocks. And over time, you've seen just a huge evolution in this business. So, I mean, investment returns, you know, important, but I think the real importance is listening to clients, being more planning centric and kind of moving that way, finding out what they're trying to accomplish and helping them with their goals. So I think that's, that's a key doing what you say you're going to do is really important. And that's why I think it's really important to make sure and right size your book, make sure you're providing good client service to the clients you have and do exactly what you say you're going to do on their behalf. So, but yeah, I have been fortunate to have worked with some very good people like yourself over the years. That's something you were always thinking about. Yeah, yeah. I gave credit to Dwight Obel on this, and maybe credit goes to you too, but there, he had created that one spreadsheet that put advisors more on a focus of non-revenue generation, but are you doing the right things for clients? Are you doing financial plans? Have you discussed insurance needs for your clients? Are you advising more on a fee-based fiduciary type of setting. And you actually, me and Nielsen, by the way, says hi, spoke to him earlier today, said I was going to be talking to you. He loved that metric. He loved the concepts that you guys, that you guys had created. And through PBIG, even though that kind of went, PBIG kind of went away or moved over, at the end of the day, you guys created some cool stuff when, when you know, for that year and a half or two year period. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, it was a lot of fun. And I think that people like you, people like Nick, I quote, if you remember Dennis Parker, I quote him sometime and I loved his line. If you're hiring me for investment management, I'm expensive. If you're hiring me for advice, I'm very cheap or something along those lines. So I do believe that advice is really the key to our industry. And we're going to have to continue to focus in on that for clients. Yeah, you brought up a good name, Dennis Parker. We actually, we I don't know who put it together, but it was me and him up on stage doing a speaking event and talking about our ideas and our concepts. And he was a brilliant guy. And that's one of the guys that's been in the bank channel forever. I talk about, but like the guy is so super talented. He could have done anything, but he's happy where he is. And that's awesome. So, mm -hmm. uh, you yeah. know, good, good for him. Is there anything, I think this podcast, because we're talking to other financial advisors out there, what would be your best piece of advice for the next gen of advisors coming over? You know, the new advisors coming over, the bank channel has got to be different than it was even when I was there. I mean, since COVID, it's got to be a whole different beast. Do you agree with that? And what would you advise the next gen advisors be doing? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're thinking specifically, if you just look at the trends in the industry, so where you're at right now and on the independent side, that continues to grow. Wirehouses continue to kind of trend down a little bit. Banks have kind of been more flat. And banks, it's kind of interesting because bank-owned broker-dealers, that's declining. You're starting to see more and more banks go third-party as well just because of all the infrastructure, compliance costs, and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of where the, I think the banking industry is going, 
you know, at one point in time, you used to have pretty good traffic within the branches. That's declining. That will continue to decline. Probably, you know, saw that even more with COVID. The good thing is that now as people are coming into the branches, they're probably a little bit more intentional in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. They're not coming in just to necessarily cash a check, make a deposit. They became very comfortable with the digital format. So I think so based on that, some of the introductions that you might get from the bankers would be better. Where I think it's going is kind of more on the commercial space. So a lot of what was built through banks was on the retail side. I think the key now is going to be through the commercial space. And do you have, I'll go back to once again, using that word competency. Do you have the competency to be able to talk to business owners? So typically not flush with cash. Uh, they are probably underfunded from a risk management standpoint. So you've got to be able to do that. Very planning centric type of an approach that you're going to have to take for these clients, but be with them when they don't have a lot of cash. So you could be able to help them when there's a liquidity event down the road and there typically is. So that's where a lot of the job creation continues to be from businesses. I saw something the other day, it was pretty interesting. Uh, the number of permits for businesses was the highest level ever last year at about 5.4 million permits. So a lot of new businesses are being founded, being started, and that's up from about an average of about two to 3 million a piece. So, I think that's going to be a unique space. That's where they see a lot of value in working with a bank. And so I think that's going to be a key to the future there as well. Do you, uh, last question for you, do you, you know, Wells Fargo came with an independent channel, which is kind of unique in, because again, banks at the end of the day and wirehouses did not want to create these independent channels because it was a way for them to not make as much money, let's be honest. And Wells just created this, and there are actually, there's many advisors from what I've heard from Wells actually fleeing to that independent side. Do you see that going to be the norm for banks going forward? And again, you don't have to speak for Synovus because, you know, wh whether you're doing that or not, maybe that's not yet or down the road, but do you think that's going to be a new norm or is that a one-off scenario? Well, I think they're unique in terms of that really goes back to, if I'm not mistaken, that goes back to the first heating days, actually, maybe even the week first days uh, that they've had a week first was pretty, I would say they were ahead of the curve in terms of they had an independent channel back then. And they also had what was known as a profit formula, which allowed you to get a higher payout and pay some of your expenses as well. So that's been around for a long period of time. I think now with Wells Fargo advisors at one point in time, you couldn't go from bank to independent. You might've been able to go from bank to the wirehouse channel and then potentially into the independent side. I think some of those barriers have come down. I think, um, I think they came down with finite. They can go directly from the bank now to the finite side, which is, that's pretty revolutionary. It, it is, it is. And so, I mean, if you think about it, if you're, if you have somebody that's going to go independent, if you can keep them in house, yeah, you're not as profitable typically on the independent side. Um, but this is not a real high capital, I mean, not a, a real high profit margin business anyways. It's a low cap, it's not a capital intensive business. That's why a lot of banks really like it and it's additive, but I think it's a good move. Uh, but I think it also, you know this, and you mentioned it earlier, you're paying the rent, you are doing the payroll, you're doing all the things is that something that you want to do? So it's great that you have the independence, but it also comes with some responsibilities too. So sure. I think there's a place for everybody out there, but I do believe that the independent side will continue to grow.
I, back to the bank side, I think that the, the future and probably the present right now will be more in that commercial and corporate space as well. Yeah, no, no, I fully agree with you there, Kev. And uh, and look, and we said this, I have a podcast coming out next week with Alana Phillips, who is a national director for recruiting for Lincoln. And she was talking about, and we were talking about the different spectrums. And there are some people that love the bank and should stay in the bank. And there's people that are independent that should go to the bank. And there are people that could, that are in the wirehouse that should go to the bank and vice versa. And there's a happy medium and a good spectrum for everybody. For me, there's aspects of the bank I completely miss every day. I miss the polit politics somewhat. I don't miss the conference calls that I don't miss, but I do miss like the conversations I have with you and some of the other advisors. So there are aspects to it, but yeah, I guess there is a different channel for everybody out there. Um, Kev, look, if an advisor does want to reach you, you got a ton of knowledge. How can somebody get a hold of you? Kevin McCarthy at Snovis.com. Awesome. And you're available on LinkedIn if they need you as well. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, Kev, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, one extra round of applause for you. I really appreciate your time today. Great. Thank you, Evan. Absolutely. And for those out there, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. You learned a lot. And we look forward to seeing you on the next one.